The American dream is dead. And now, the How You Live In podcast with Chaz Simmons and Mikkel Nielsen. All right, and we are back once again, folks. How You Live In, live in Greenwood. Bonjour, shalom, what's up? And welcome to How You Live In. Good to catch up with you guys here once again in early June. <clears throat> That's right. Enjoying the sunshine today. Sunny, almost 80, maybe even in the 80s. How you living today, Chaz? Oh, pretty well overall, but you know, the world is kind of crazy right now. Yeah, it's a little uh, it's a little topsy-turvy out there. Uh, things are, are happening fluidly throughout the world. Uh, we have attacks. We have changes in climate policy. It's a, uh, it's a lot of things, man. Mm-hmm. What uh, what's been uh, going on in your neck of the woods lately that uh, has inspired you or uh, can keep your mind away from these uh, turbulent times? Well, there is this whole <laughs> thing about Bill Maher, um, and his comments on his just past Saturday show. Yeah. Where he called himself a house nigga. Right, right, as opposed to somebody that was going to work on the plantation that was being referenced by the Nebraska person who was really just referencing farms. Yeah, he was, but, like, it, yeah. it was, I mean, he did use the phrase, work the fields. Right. And work the fields does lend itself to, like, what you would say about slaves working the fields. And and then one of my friends online, he said, in the context of the joke, it made sense, and he thought it was funny, and he was a black guy. But I've had other black friends say that they didn't like the joke whatsoever, that he should apologize. Like, you keep that word out of your mouth. There goes um, Bill Maher again being this, like, because he thinks he's a liberal champion, he can just get away with that shit. Right. And I kind of agree with my first friend. Like, if if I hadn't been exposed to the rage about it first, I would have cracked the fuck up. <laughs> I would have been like, what? Yeah, I actually, so it's it's from a Friday night broadcast. I actually mm-hmm. watched the live feed oh, shit. on Friday night. Um, and so I saw it actually was pulled from all uh, feeds that came on after that. So Really? Yeah, it was only on the original live feed. And I, I happened to watch that. And kind of like what your friend said, in the context of the moment, it was an awkward moment in a statement. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't like kind of how it's been like singled out yeah it was inappropriate and it and it and it, it's a dumb joke like in the context of how he put it like that it's just it's not necessary for that moment but uh w- when you hear it it does just sound like a comedian trying to be funny and mm-hmm. it, it does in the context but now that it's been removed from the context uh yeah it just stands out as like this yeah i mean Oh, another one of my friends he made a good point that uh it was trivial trivializing slavery um and, and i can i i feel that i can't really i could from an artistic view i feel like it, the further things get down the line and the more absurd you think they are the more you trivial trivialize them right and, and i think like you don't want to trivialize something where the impact of it is lost on the people and i think that's where he was getting at where it feels like it trivializes slavery well, okay uh, yeah, because so, now he's using it for fodder as a joke and whatnot. And yeah, but I mean, how much of our past has, like, I guess because black comedians live through it, like, they get the past. That always seems to be the past. Like, in, in liberal America, which you, you will hear a lot of, it is basically, like, that minorities get the past because they're the minorities. If you're in the majority, you don't get a pass because you're in the majority. Right. And I, I, I mean, I, I get it, but I struggle with reasons to agree with that just out of pure reason of that yeah i see what you're saying it's yeah because it's not using specific logic it's just yeah it's just i mean i get like i have mixed feelings about it well and i think uh bill maher does now i think that <laughs> there's a lot of repercussions that might come out of his decision to say it in the uh context that he did say it and so uh yeah no it was an interesting moment uh I, it, the rest of the show was it, it sucks because like he's not a perfect 
liberal spokesperson. Yeah. But he does stand on a lot of the very specific issues very sternly and has a following. Mm-hmm. And so he's been a useful mouthpiece for the Democrats as far as like checking themselves and the things that they're doing wrong and admitting to it and kind of using that platform to actually look mm-hmm. inward as much as he looks to the uh to the the other party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, but yeah, no, Bill Maher's now still on HBO, so I guess, you know. Yeah, HBO isn't going to get him off, um, of TV for saying that. It's the home box office. Yeah. Yeah, HBO. I, I was, an, uh, another friend did discuss where, like, he was a friend who, who doesn't like him either, and I guess I don't have much, um, depth of experience with Bill Maher to hate him as much as other people do. But I, I, what I do like is, he, well, my friend was mentioning that other people like Larry Wilmore or Jessica Williams should be on there. But what I think um, people like us, like liberals, we want to be critical. And I mean, like academically critical of um, what conservatives are saying. I mean, and I don't mean being academically critical of neo-Nazis. You, no, no, no. You just tell them they're fucking wrong. Um, but for ones who, you know, try to be intellectual with their speech, but are really good at creating red herrings before a conversation starts, I feel like outlets like Bill Maher is a good space for someone to be critical of someone who's in opposition to him without much, um, repercussions from at least a panel or like the space they're in. And I'm not sure if someone like Larry Wilmore or Jessica Williams could give something like that, but I do feel like... Bill Maher, as the tool that he is in this whole social justice fight, is being used, is being underused by a lot. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with that. And and I do hope that there are more uh, liberal voices that get out there and can use like a, you know, a smart l- look and take on what's going on as well as being able to, like he's doing, challenge their own opinions and make sure that they're they're on the side that's, you know, justice and righteous and whatnot as close as it can be you know yeah because it's it's all fairly muddy water anyway once you get into politics so right i think it was like two three years ago when neil degrasse Tyson was on there and there was a guy who was like he was he was a climate change denier or he was the i'm gonna frame climate change under the climate always changes it goes up it goes down um and then he does the one where he cherry picks certain findings that fit is online well it's rising steadily over here at cu2 rises right and and then neil degrasse tyson comes on there and goes like if you don't want to think about it like that think about nature and uh, when he was just talking about how flowers are growing in places where they haven't before migration patterns are happening later and later and how you know just the ecosystem is changing you have to ask why and one of those reasons is global warming so it's like hey and i know that was a good explanation of like why he's still like his ego wouldn't allow him to believe it but also that's where his money is so you wouldn't expect him to change even though that was very sound logic or i should say really sound reasoning um and but yeah so now that i feel like like that was a for me like one of the reasons like bill maher was able to facilitate that and i think other people could facilitate that too but i mean well and he's getting older so i mean it's yeah. like how long is he really going to be on there with that being said it's time for callbacks do you got a callback? Uh, my callback is going to be to continue the action within your community uh, once again. That's my throwback callback forever whenever I can't uh, actually have one that's specific to our previous episode. So there you go. Callback to that action. Meet your neighbors. Go and uh, and go to the town halls. There you go. Keep Keep that up. There you go. You I, have- I just thought of a callback. Um, wanted to let you guys know about, you know, John Asosoff in the uh, 6th District of uh, in Georgia. 6th District in uh, Georgia. I can't say that word for some reason sometimes. But um, it looks like his polling numbers are going down. And, well, he's always asking us for money. But I definitely want you to give um, him, you know, more exposure. Definitely if you know people down in Georgia who would vote for him and want to kind of shift the power um in congress just a little and plus and plus he's a young guy we're in our 30s he's in our his 30s so it'll be good to get people in there who aren't like 40s 50s 
like 40s eh, but people who are in like their late 50s 60s and such um i mean cool it took you a while to get up there you know everything there is to do when it comes to government but you know people can take a civics class or two people know how bills are created if they just you know learn a little bit so we can get some young guns in there with good ideas who better represent us quote-unquote millennials ruining everything um so i hope john asasov can be a millennial that ruins shit <laughs> but in a good way right i mean <clears throat> yeah no and, and that's gonna just continue to happen i mean as generations move on and i guess the argument is that people that are of that specific generation the the 70 and 60 year olds who are kind of in the the trump circle um you know social change has gone on throughout their life and some of it they haven't kept up with you know and some of it they've kind of just put aside and decided that they're set in their ways Mm -hmm. and so that's a reason why you get somebody who's younger who might have been grown up in a environment of those social changes being more common and like proliferating their uh their understanding of what's going on so i would say like that would be an argument in my side for like yeah we definitely need to get some younger blood in there um and you know they should run for senate when they're 30 and run for president when they're 35 (laughs) like Mm -hmm. go for it uh, <clears throat> get the experience because uh, somebody wins and somebody else loses. So that's true. You know, candidates need to be need to be putting their names in the hat, and and I guess that kind of is a good connection to my callback because that's something else. If you do think you're eligible and you're somebody that has the means, you know, you should go for the school board or the local city council or mm-hmm. um, the clerk. You know, there's different positions based on uh, different um counties and cities and districts so there might be something that's right up your alley that's an elected position and different elected positions have different authorities and different votes and different you know jurisdictions like parks department you know you could be the next person who decides what parks get built in your local community so Uh yeah um that's it for callbacks uh have you uh been keeping track of anybody on the hill are they are they in session What's going on with uh with Bill Watch, man? Uh, they just came back in session, and it's been four days out, so I haven't checked it too much. Uh, definitely though, I guess regarding the state of America, um, Comey is about to go into his uh hearing with the Senate, and but the or what's the name? The White House could have blocked them from doing that, but they said they're not going to. So. Uh, I wonder, because, I mean, it would be very, it's already fishy that he got fired. You would almost, like, think it confirms your suspicions that they have something to hide up there. Like, no, 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 Comey can't say anything. Right. Do you think it ever happens where, like, we should start a Comey 2017 campaign? (laughs) Just so it'll get confused and muddied with the Comey 2012. Comey 2012. Yeah. This is like Comey 2017. They're like, he's back? You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, man. It's very important. Uh, it's a little play on words with uh, today's major headlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, the whole Russian investigation um, and, you know, passage of information, uh, possibly, um, and when they had the White House visit, is uh, it's alarming. And now he's giving back the properties that they were seized before, one in New York and one in Baltimore, mm-hmm. um, that have been connected to espionage to dating back to the Reagan era. Mm. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's uh, the, the joke on the liberal side is that the dossier is real. But uh, I, I think the joke in reality is he's just partnering with strong-armed dictators because... Um, when he does leave office, if he leaves office, uh, he's going to want to go somewhere. (laughs) You're sure he doesn't want to try to make a a sort of coup in America of some sort? I don't think he's got the legs for that only because of his age. I mean, only in the sense that if he, I mean, I, to some degree, if he, if he can prop up one of his, uh, sons or cohorts, then, then to some degree he is the, the second coming of Reagan. Because Reagan managed to get Bush elected, you know. So. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it it you know it's it's uh. But I'm I'm worried more of a coup. Not like I'm not actually worried about the government like 
moving forward and acting the same, like having a corrupt president get his vice president elected. Okay, cool. And Bush Sr. didn't do so much to like, you never thought that we would lose our democracy. But with Trump and him congratulating a lot of dictators and them taking like strong arm approaches to trying to be civil in their lands, would I don't know if Trump has know how, but I'm wondering if it's like his surrounding staff, especially Bannon, is saying like democracy is shitty. Like, let's pull a Frank Underwood and just fucking, you know, change the way, like, change the function of our government so that it doesn't even look like a democratic republic anymore. Right. Okay. That's I, what I'm concerned <clears throat> with. Pulling a uh, house of cards, huh? Okay. I mean, in, in, to some degree, well, what I see him doing is consolidating a lot of uh, of the mineral wealth and things underneath a bunch of branch of corporations that he's buddy-buddy with, and he retires on tax returns from that and the cushy deals he makes with whatever nation-states work with him. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty common strategy, and I think before the 24-hour news cycle, uh, his type of presidency actually would probably go kind of unnoticed when it came to that type stuff, like his backdoor dealings and things. Mm. But because we have the 24-hour news cycle and we're following a president every minute, mm-hmm. uh, y- he, you know, those those backdoor dealings are on, on the news front every day, but he's still going to do them. I mean, he's still going to get tax incentives and oil embar- uh, embargoes lifted and, like, whatever he can do to move commerce around the world to him somehow builds his brand, Trump. Mm-hmm. because it's through his kind of dealings that do that. And that, like, in turn, I think, in all honesty, everyone's afraid of him, like, being dictator Trump. I think he's still businessman Trump. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's the first person to buy the White House, and he got the best deal of anybody because people spent more than him and didn't get the office that he got. That's true. And um, I think that's it. I think he's just using it as a, as a, as a money scheme mm. and and i think the power is kind of secondary i think that he he's a little drunk on the power but i don't think he's so drunk that he's going to do anything drastic more so than he just does already you know what i mean the mm-hmm. stuff that he's already doing is like i think the limit of the drastic and i think everything we're going to see from here on out is going to be we're going to keep hearing the word american jobs and we're going to keep hearing the word uh new manufacturing and and hopefully he's actually himself going to bury the coal lead because coal has a has a future but it has a future that's less than 10 years of you know massive production the way it's going there's been numbers coming out lately that half the states that rely on coal um are going to be making initiatives for um going green it's mm-hmm. really only the people who are coal production states now mm-hmm. that favor coal even as an option Things like gas and oil, although dangerous to transport, are way more efficient. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they've they've used those, and then they're going to alter that with whatever renewables they get. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's an interesting thing. I guess what I was just saying with that is that he's going to leave in eight years. <laughs> you know, hopefully we get him out before then. But let's all be realistic. He's he's running for re-election right now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. if we. Pff, it's Bush again. It's Bush two point If he gets eight years, yeah, but Bush was split fifty fifty, and and John Kerry, like I said before, was a shitty candidate. Yeah, that was a bad candidate. Um, but with Trump, remember, there's fifty percent of eligible voters that did not vote because okay. they they thought the options were equally shit. Okay, right. So do you do you think a drastic change in the twenty twenty electorate or in the i think as long as you don't give us a candidate that's totally shit though he'll lose right and but it, but we don't uh, don't don't get me started on the machinations of the neoliberalism and the democratic party that basically just wants old school conservatism 2.0 <laughs> so yeah well, I mean, yeah, well the Dems, I mean the Dems themselves are fractured. They're they're proving that. I mean, mm-hmm. you have the hawkish Dems who uh consider themselves centrist and then you have the far far left uh liberal wing that is, you know, the progressive wing. And the two of them are uh supposed to work, you know, in tandem and hopefully mm-hmm. do. But uh instead, you know, they kind of bicker and fight and they show that in the electorate. 
mm-hmm. with uh, split candidates with uh, the Bernie, the Bernie situation. <laughs> yeah, no, established Democrats like, uh, yeah, they and oh, and uh, I think the two things that happen. Remember, I guess it's kind of a callback when I was talking about the blue dog Democrats. I mean, we're we're already I say we're because you know left Democrat not synonymous, but you know colloquially. Um, we, we're enough because I'm definitely in the progressive front and I'm definitely like, um, we have more wealth than all these other countries. Why don't we do this? And your only, and your excuses, we're not homogenous. And I'm like, you know, medically speaking, that don't mean shit. Right. So that's a dumbass defense for why not we can't do that. But yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm I'm slowly leaning into the camp of uh, how could you possibly transition to a more parliamentary system in the uh, legislative branch? Yeah, they do seem to have a overall more representative system than we do. Right. And as specifically for for smaller parties and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I. I w- well, actually, we can get past that by um, uh, not doing uh, first past the post anymore. Oh right, right. Instead, what what would be the uh, what's the explain the other option? Um, uh, there's a there's a bunch of other options, but there uh the ones that I like is tiered voting, where basically you like if you have five presidential candidates, then you vote one, two, three, four, five, and uh, your top choice gets the first vote and uh, and then basically it keeps going until like basically you just match up all of the different what you call it like where they got votes at and hmm. basically who rank and then the other one is um if you oh, oh no no in that one if your like number one candidate loses or doesn't get a certain amount of votes then all your votes all those votes go to like your second place candidate so then that means that at least if you're like, if it was on the ticket, like if we had Bernie, Jill Stein, um, what's her name? Hillary. Hillary. What's her name? <laughs> Trump and uh, someone else. And I say like, if I was me, I'd be like, number one would be Bernie. Number two would be Hillary. Number three would be Gary Johnson. Number four would be Jill Stein. Number five would be Donald Trump. Right. And, but say not enough, like Bernie didn't get enough votes. So, but then all those votes would have went to Hillary. So that would have allowed everybody who was like, I'm not voting because we have two votes to come out and say, yeah, I'm going to vote. Um, and hopefully my candidate wins, but if not, I get my second choice candidate. Hmm. Interesting. It's an interesting, uh, series of, uh, of tiered systems i i mean i i like the idea of the parliamentary system because parties can kind of build from the ground up they can represent like individual districts mm-hmm. and kind of like like strong arm them way their way into to politics um in different forms in different countries mm-hmm. and whereas our parties like they kind of have to live on the fringes of of, of either getting elected independent mm-hmm. which is a rarity and getting swayed by each party for votes mm-hmm. or um, basically run different types of influence organizations. So lobbying. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of uh, of hidden party lobbying. I mean, if you're a progressive lobbyist firm, you know, but you're not really a candidate type, you're going you're gonna to go after the people that, you know, have those values. Well, that works for people that are, you know, in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, you end up with a lot of, um representation through lobbyists but you know lobbying only gets so far you mm-hmm. know and it's not on the books that's the other problem so we don't really we can't really track that um whereas votes we can track so we keep track of what people vote mm-hmm. we don't really know what's behind those votes you know we don't really know what deals are being made or why you know we just see the name yes no you know so. well there i think it's pretty public to find information on uh what senators like if they're getting paid by special interest groups and such it's not always being paid like a lot of influence happens through um different people's control of jobs mm-hmm. so factories being put in certain places um without even exchanging any money you mm-hmm. know? just being like yeah i'm considering chattanooga over memphis but you know 
I don't know. And like the district person from one of those places is going to mm-hmm. be like going to talk to you. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if a vote comes up that makes it more available for you to make that decision to go there, you know, you might do that. And so no money got exchanged. Yeah, that's true. But jobs were brought. So uh, I, I'm just saying, you, we don't we don't know what's behind most votes. Um, and even the if you interview the senators, that's the kind of thing. They're kind of the naivety of the whole situation is they don't either. You know, they're briefed in these tiny bullet points per bill, you know, and uh, more so in the state legislation. Like yeah, like, I think there's a lot of voting down party party lines that just happens because people are complacent. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, wh- I can't remember what the fact was, but wasn't there like five thousand laws passed in California last year or something? Like, Shit, damn. Yeah, so it's like the the votes for all those laws is like to keeping track of that would be insane, and so that's what I was saying that like even Congress is crazy, but like the state legislatures, some of these busier states, they're they're nuts, man. Mm-hmm. Specifically California. California's house is uh. Is ridiculous. Mm. It has to get through so much. I mean, look at all that land, mm-hmm. you know, all that money that's coming through, and immigration, and all kinds of different things that they're processing at the. Yeah, there's always been some talk about splitting up California into five new states. Yeah, I mean, economically, it would probably make more sense. Mm-hmm. Geographically, um, possibly even um, kind of I- ideology, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wonder if um, if that would just kind of like screw over just because the trade-offs have been going for so long mm-hmm. that you wonder like, because uh, Southern California has no water, so Northern California can technically just turn the tap off. Yeah, that's true. And then Southern California doesn't exist. Um, so, yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's an interesting yeah, it's an interesting state. And then with them kind of standing firm against the Trump agenda mm-hmm. as a state is, is an interesting study in states' rights and representation. And, you know, it's got to be interesting to be a Republican in California these days. I, I Well, and I think it goes back to those echo chambers. I think if you're from Fresno, mm-hmm. you know, or the interior further or Sonoma, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I bet you... Uh, you voted Republican, and so the people around you voted Republican. So, yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same kind of deal. So the the whole purple conundrum that, yeah. we, that we're dealing with, which I think we wouldn't be saying the red, blue, purple if we had parliamentary system because we wouldn't be able to make such a rudimentary uh, analogy because we would have, well, what do you make when you get green? <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be a Red. hard sell for Americans, though. How would you sell? No, you won't be able to. I parliament. don't think you can. I think it's like sales tax in Oregon. I think it's better for the people, and I think if you let it run for five years, you would mm-hmm. make so much money and improvements in your state that people would realize it was a benefit. But because it's the third rail of Oregon politics, you'll never get state sales tax in Oregon. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing for Americans in Congress. Even though it's better for us probably representatively to have parliament, Mm-hmm. there's a lot of steadfast Americanism in the idea of being different in the rest of the world mm-hmm. and the fact that we're the, you know, Senate and the house and the, I mean, Republican remember that you, you have to change the constitution <clears throat> at that point. Like that's what, well, that's why I you think it's am- a hard sell. I mean, you can amend it. Yeah. You are changing it, but yeah, an mm-hmm. amendment will work, you know? Um, but I mean, a lot of it has to just do with logistics. I think at this point, I think mm-hmm. at some point, logistics science is going to take over political science as far as how we govern, because it's really going to come down to the numbers and, and how it's mm-hmm. affecting people. And so, um, it, logistically, I think Parliament would serve the people better than this split down the middle. No, no, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, I'm asking you to sell it to the American people. Oh, that's the thing. I mean, I, I mean, it, 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 I, I doubt, I doubt you could ever drum up enough support because the, the anti. No, no, that doesn't answer my question. That's just being pessimistic about the supposed outcome. I'm saying, if you want to say to American people, our current re- um, representative republic is shit when it comes to our personal interests. Tell them why a parliamentary system is like you have a few times, but say to them, like, if you want your voice heard, you need to push for a parliamentary system. And here's why or well, something like that. Well, what I was just say, I don't think I don't think the system's total shit. I think mm-hmm. I think I think 
it, it, it all it always comes down to corruption mm-hmm. you know um and so when you only have two um parties uh, the element of corruption becomes just rampant and and you see it even more so when you sometimes only have one party mm-hmm. so but that's um, a dictatorship well yeah but i mean russia or yeah it, russia's a dictatorship eh, you would they they would declare themselves or some people in the party would declare themselves a democracy mm, yeah they're, I, fa- I, they're they're dictatorship that masquerades as a democracy and but. and uh, i think china would have a, a similar response to them oh god well. china's fucked up system does not need to talk so <laughs> so i mean you have i mean there's always perspective man on how they look at it mm-hmm. um all i'm saying is that yeah the, the the parliamentary system would better serve americans i personally wouldn't try to sell it to them because it's similar to the idea of selling sales tax to oregonians i just know that they don't want it it's kind of it's just like i don't know crystal clear pepsi you know <laughs> it's like maybe it's better for you it's like, like less filling great taste i don't know but uh it no it uh it's just not it's not a sellable item um and our friends canada are right next to us and they're lapping us all the time when it comes to like social commentary and stuff although you know fewer people uh and you know so we even have an example that's like in our neighborhood and we still don't switch so it's well not- of course we're not gonna switch because like see w- what i mean by we have to convince them like it, we're not gonna switch from the jump because we're ingrained into certain things right and but we we haven't said anything about reframing the idea to the american people so it makes sense to them well i mean and- I, I think i think i think the gist of to me the gist of parliament is pretty well known to people i think they at least know that you know it's more than one party and yeah, what ends up happening is these coalition governments and typical the typical re- relation of of governments in these different countries mm-hmm. is, you know sometimes you get one party that you know sweeps the vote but for the most part it's a it's a coalition you get you get a few minor party votes um in on board with a with a, a more major party mm-hmm. in order to you know sway and you know yield which is kind of what mm-hmm. we're doing. We're talking about exchanges when people are, are using lobbyists and stuff. We're, we have some of those same mechanisms. You know, I just think, yeah, the corruption. I Honestly, I guess my, my beef mm-hmm. is, is it, and isn't against the American system. It's against corruption. And I think, I think if, you could, if you could weed out the corruption, our system is fine. Um, and I think it would even yield to more parties. Um, yeah, you can weed out the corruption naturally. by voting, though. Yeah, like not enough enough people vote in the midterms. Uh, yeah, I mean the voting electorate in general, though, is is kind of a conundrum of just you know what 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 drives the masses of people that choose not to vote every year. Apathy. You know? Yeah. Complacency. You know, not understanding the gravity of what these votes actually mean. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's for that's what it kind of was for me anecdotally. Oh, when you, the period of time that you chose not to vote? Yeah, like I didn't, I didn't vote in midterms. I only voted in like presidential elections and city shit. Well, that's like right. <laughs> so it's like a very common thing, mm-hmm. actually. And I can understand completely because if you're not like informed, like oh, what does this do? But now I'm like, all right, do I want Patty? Mar- I still want Patty Murray in the Senate. I still want my um, Pramila in Congress. Because I want my voice to be heard in in Washington. And you have to, like, and I think it just takes more people being engaged in the system. I think not enough people are engaged in the system, but I also feel like there's mechanisms uh, of the system that keeps people disengaged. And uh, I definitely do think that they're, like, it's definitely the older, it, definitely young people don't go out and vote, but older people do. Older people are all about that voting life. That's how they're able to just like keep their um, their standings. That's why you have like lifer, um, what's it called? It lifer senators and stuff. So when they're like, yeah, there's gonna be term limits. Like you don't need term limits. You just need people to stop being apathetic about government. Any talking about your like your political views shouldn't be a taboo. And that's another thing too. When I was growing up. Everybody was like, what's the two things you don't talk about? Religion and politics. I'm like, right. And I was like, and what starts the most wars, religion and politics. Right. And I'm like, why? And then because, and and I think the reason why is uh, people feel like their positions on that matter are right no matter what. And I think that's a foolish position to take. 
Right. And and I mean nobody should ever be one hundred percent sure of anything unless they have enough sample sizes and enough um objective information outside of themselves and just their core groups to think that it's right. So I mean, at least that's why I challenge things like that and challenge norms and and things like that because it's it, it kind of it kind of really annoys me that all of this is just basically around oh yeah we're apathetic about uh, politics because we don't like to talk about it. Yeah, well, uh, so since we we live in an era where we have this president that mm-hmm. is not supported by half the country, um, which reminds me of movies. Because I love movies, and movies yeah, oftentimes yeah. are not supported by a lot of people. Really? And so I was wondering, man, talking about politics, <laughs> what are some of your favorite political movies, and who is your favorite representative in movies? So somebody who's played a political role, and for you is like... That's that's your movie candidate. You're like that. I I roll with that one. I'd get the button. Said you know I like so and so. So let me see. I guess there's a few. So political and then just in general political movies. So if you just you know. Well, let me see political movies. The one I was thinking about movies with political figures in it in my head, but then I think okay I, that works too. I think I I kind of oversimplify like not oversimplify because like I take Independence Day because the president like plays such an integral role in the movie. Oh okay. You know he ends up being a fighter pilot and mm-hmm. one, you know so I'm like yeah like you know that I, I'll accept that as like mm-hmm. a political uh, character, but uh, but I think like as far as political movies, you know the, the typical kind of like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Okay okay yeah you know. Um, the new Manchurian Candidate was good. I haven't seen it. So when did that one come out? Oh God! And, and sometime in the two thousands. I can't remember exactly when. Okay. So and that's about. I mean, that's kind of the puppet government thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and and then there's the Constant Gardener. I believe that was a political movie. Not familiar with that one either. What what do you, what what did Constant Gardener have to do? Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. Okay, well we can uh, <laughs> we can we'll we'll look that up. Uh some uh some that I like uh Dave. Oh I, yeah. I enjoy Dave, Kevin Klein re- resembling a president who dies mm-hmm. during uh uh non-marital coitus. Mm. Uh also you have the American president with Mr. Michael Douglas, not my favorite. Yeah, that it seems like Michael Douglas would play a good, you know, stereotypical presidential type figure. Uh, a lot of people like to point to Morgan Freeman and Deep Impact. I was gonna say that a as a solid bit. as a solid presidential figure. Uh, so, I, so yeah, who yeah who who's your who would you elect out of these movies? Yeah, so let's, let's okay. They're, they're okay. I should say like what two of my favorites are one because it's a campy action film, um, and uh, what, what is it called? It is London has or not London has fallen? Olympus has fallen. Oh, okay. Right, and okay. it definitely has the guy who played Harvey Dent in uh, the Batman series as the president there. Right. And it's just a very, like, really campy, fun film. It came out at the same time as that Channing Tatum and uh, Jamie Foxx movie did. And I think Jamie Foxx was president in his movie as well, too. So I think I might vote for Jamie Foxx as president first, but... The second person I would vote as president is um, Chris Rock in Head of State. Oh, see, I was wondering if we were going to get to Head of State. Because <laughs> he ran on the, the George Jefferson Washington, or what was it? George Washington Jefferson? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, was his name. And he was like, you know the name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that was that was a solid uh, 90s uh, comedy movie right? about politics. Uh, I liked that one. That was good. Um, let's see what the internet says about... Uh, political movies um it involves oh we do have the distinguished gentleman with eddie murphy oh yeah Uh, yeah that one i barely remember uh they consider a political movie okay so that's like political geopolitical okay yeah if we start getting into like the pelican brief and uh... pelican brief little michael crichton Mm -hmm. right right yeah michael crichton is all about them political movies uh fahrenheit 911 Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a political movie. Charlie Wilson's War. That was an interesting depiction of 
arms movement to the Mujahideen. Oh, I haven't seen that in one. the nineteen eighties Russian conflict. Okay, uh, but it's kind of in like a kind of jokey way because the the main character played by Tom Hanks is like this uh, swarvy kind of like mm-hmm. back dealing Texas senator uh, or represent House representative. And uh, he ends up being the kind of key player to move the money to the people that buy the arms that give the uh, rockets to the Mujahideen. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there you go. People, uh, spoiler alert on that movie. I think that came out in the mid-2000s. Yeah, 2007. (laughs) Ah, Okay, here we'll finish with uh, the classic uh, political movie, JFK. Oh, yeah, of course. Back and to the left back into the left they also have the uh uh election the movie with uh oh reese witherspoon reese witherspoon it's not really political because it's about class president but but definitely it is definitely an interesting um examination about elections and how elections in our society are more popularity contest than they are about the issues right so kind of apropos yeah did trump's presidency make election a documentary (laughs) No, I just think it made. I think it's an even more relevant allegory to our system than it was back then. There you go. I think back then it was more of the sort of not what is it the hoity-toity sort of like well, so this is what I think about our political system. I put my thumb up and I think it's good. But now it's like yeah, no, our system's fucked. We need to stop electing the most popular person. But even I mean, anecdotally speaking. I there was one election I was a part of um in school and it was for treasurer of the National Honor Society and I didn't get chosen because it was a popularity contest nobody knew me but everyone <laughs> else knew him nobody cared if we could do the job they're just like yeah we know him so we vote for him and I was like hmm but later down on the line I learned from my mistake I I should say and when i was at vancouver film school i learned that like i wanted to do a good job and i tried to do my best when i was um student representative but student representatives got elected so i ran around like any good politician and i met with my classmates and i got to know them and that was enough for me to get enough votes to get elected all right and i was just like okay yeah (laughs) it's uh yeah, the pol- politics, man. It's it's interesting that it, you know, how it governs our world, and that um, just swaying a, a a few minds in your direction, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and with like what we were already saying, the diluted vote, it's already a diluted vote. Yeah. So the number of minds in certain places is very few, you know. And if you get on that path and the right amount of momentum, you know, you're on a on a track to to greater influence and you know just based on um people yeah yeah it's interesting it's like your wealth becomes um the influence and the response people have to you in order to give you the votes you need for said influence Mm -hmm. and it's like that's your currency you know in the in the political game yeah i was listening to this song uh, um that one of my like he's a youtuber that does lyrics for video game songs and he has a a lyric in one of the songs that tells you not to buy video or game consoles at launch and then he's like video game companies will say anything they want to you to get you to buy their stuff just like a politician will say anything to you to get elected i'm like that's too real yeah that's too real (laughs) wait wait six months and suddenly the device gets smaller or wait six months Mm -hmm. and the price comes down a hundred bucks right and what's the difference you you have more games available now you Mm -hmm. know only have so many at launch you know it's like yeah the I've I've been living with that my whole life. I I bought in on uh on PlayStation One. Mm-hmm. I bought in with the uh the original, and uh and it was like three hundred ninety nine dollars or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember that. And then it was like two hundred dollars within like six months, and I was like, well, I feel like an idiot. Right. I didn't buy mine until it got down to like a hundred and forty nine ninety nine. Yeah. Which like now I know adjusted for inflation is like really a lot, but. 
I just traded in a bunch of games, and I was like, yeah, I got a PlayStation, yay. We're going to do it. Well, uh, Chaz Arena, do you have any uh, information you want to give the people or groups or things you want to shed some light on to, to grow their brains? or set um, the- What was I thinking of today? There, there was uh, Facebook is flying with all sorts of things, but I was... Oh, I, I did want to bring up something when we were talking about um, Olympus has fallen and deep, deep Impact. Okay. People like to joke that um, so after the world was practically saved from uh, the impact of the crater, that um, Morgan Freeman stopped being president and then he ended up being like a secretary of state later on so that uh, Olympus has fallen is actually a continuation of the same story in Deep Impact. Oh, it's one of those. (laughs) And and it's not really, but it's fun to think about it that way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like to do that. I I like to do like, like, you know, Matt Damon, you know, after he wrote all those math equations at Harvard Mm. and showed people about them apples, he suddenly got real heavy about space. Oh, shit. Next thing, you know, next thing you know, he's the Martian. Yes. Like, they, you should have had one, like, how about them potatoes? Oh. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, so oh I, I do gosh. like to. Uh, it, was, it was long nights at the pizza place. Uh, we would create uh, fake band names by combining different like strings of words. Mm. And then we would create uh, fake storylines where we would combine uh like we just did characters from movies they're mm. continuing there as if so it's like tom hanks you know after you know he had a he had, his upbringing was a little weird but somewhere in the middle of forrest gump before he's kind of the aged one mm-hmm. he joins the space program and he has this whole event happen with the apollo 13 mm. and then he returns but then just before you think everything's fine he takes a job at fedex and he ends up being cast away and that's when he comes home and finds out Jenny's dying and he ends up with the kid. So that's the second half. But Oh, okay. See, okay. So that's how Tom Hanks, because, you know, his character in Forrest Gump does everything. Mm-hmm. So I just add two other things that he does in other movies into Forrest Gump and then finish with the AIDS, just like the regular Forrest Gump. <laughs> I mean, they kind of allude. I guess they don't actually say AIDS, but mm-hmm. they're like, they're like, AIDS is getting really big, and they're like, your mom's dead. So, I mean, I guess they Yeah, do. I mean, they do imply it. I remember watching Forrest Gump and definitely finding it interesting how it just took you through history, through the eyes of Forrest Gump, and just what were the big issues at the time. I was saying I was really taken aback when he went into, like, the Black Panther room and everything like that, and, and then right. and they were, because I felt, like, tension for him. I was like, oh, shit. Oh shit, he he's gonna say something that they didn't think is gonna be Riri and they're gonna be like, Oh hell no. And but no, that didn't happen. I was like oh, okay. 'cause speaking of political movies, there's also Black Sheep. Oh yeah. With Chris Farley. Oh shit. He doesn't walk into a black party r- rally, but he does walk in on Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers backstage. Oh. And they inform him about all the bad things white people do and get him really high on some ganja. Mm-hmm. And then they ask him to introduce them and he goes out and says kill whitey. <laughs> So I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I don't. Because I don't think I've seen the whole movie. Oh, it's hilarious because he gets so convinced by Ziggy Marley and wrapped up about the ideas that they're saying. He's like, you're right, man. You're so right. And then like they're like, "It's tell us that we're coming out. And then he just runs out and says, kill Whitey. Oh. And it just dies. It falls. But it, it gets like publicity and it goes against his brother who's running as um, governor of Washington State, actually, in the movie. Hmm. Takes place in Washington State. And, uh, yeah. But uh, he doesn't go into a Black Panther rally, but he does walk into the uh, back room of the Ziggy Marley concert. Nice. Okay, I just remembered the thought that I had today because um, I was watching Crash Course's sociology, sociology series, and the episode today was How Did We Get to Where We're At? And they were talking about the different types of culture or societies that we build around things. And the two that struck out to me were industrial society and post-industrial society. And America is actually having an identity crisis because part of America makes its money taking pride in the industrial society. But another part of America, the America that we live in, makes its money in the post-industrial society. 
Right. And I feel like our big divide now is between, I feel like conservatives support the industrial society because they make a lot of money from the industrial society. Like a lot of those guys as millionaires are from oil and gas and coal and, you know, the guy in that, like owning cars or building cars and things like that. So there, there is definitely a big front for them that when they say jobs, they mean industrial industry jobs. And what uh, Democrats are having a hard time with is they they are past the the industry or the industrial area and era, and they know we're in the post-industrial era. But I think what they're saying is a little different from like me being more progressive. Is we're saying like yeah, we're going into port, uh, post-industrial. We're gonna have to bring the people who are still stuck in industrial out of it. Yeah. But even when we're in post-industrial. We're going to have all of the ability, like, we're going to have so much abundance, it hurts. Why do people still have to pay for that abundance? And I think that's something that core Democrats don't get, but progressives think it's obvious and they're fighting for. And and I think that's kind of where, why I feel like the, the more populist conservatives and the more um, constitutional conservatives are more aligned because they can say, oh, yeah, you just want to have your industrial jobs. We love industrial jobs. That legacy, like like the guy who was on Bill Maher, just to bring it uh, way back when you said, oh, do you want to see us work the field? Like, you want to come down and work the fields? Right. Like, the one thing that I, I wouldn't say upset me, but the one thing I noticed in that moment that he was the, he was a Nebraska guy. And he looked at him like it, like he was proud of that. And there's not there's nothing wrong to be proud of that, but you can tell because he's proud of that, they are still neck deep in that industrial, um, right, in that non post industrial yeah mindset yeah. And and that I was like, and then that, that like it did hurt, but I was kind of like, I don't know how to I don't know how to approach that, right? And I'm just like, Ugh. so. Yeah, no, it uh it's it's a complicated time, man, for sure. And uh and and yeah, the Nebraska guy is he was other up to that point, he was kind of a dangerous delivery mechanism for the Republicans to that liberal audience. You mm-hmm. know, he really skirted he did, first of all, he didn't vote for Trump, you know. And so he really held the line on a lot of kind of centrist issues that made him more appealing to Americans and digestible other than the fact that he's Republican and he does support some of this Republican agenda. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, the, the entire Republican agenda isn't, I wouldn't say horrible, but it, it just, it, it centers itself from a certain ideology. And once you know that ideology, then you just have to say, then you have to basically tackle it from, uh, is your ideology better? Yeah, yes, why? And I don't think, and I think that's getting muddled between the two groups too, because when we like definitely what my, people might say are the regressive left, but definitely like super socially progressive people right. seeing the things that you know when white supremacy and neo Nazis have been doing that th- those two sides are getting muddled in the sauce when basically where one group is just like no man the American dream only works if you have to pull yourself by your bootstraps and then other people are like man fuck the American dream we have enough abundance why don't we just allow people to be people and and I think that's what it really boils down to yeah and I'm kind of in uh I, I'm like for me I think the transformation that I would like to see probably won't happen in America for ages because it, it would take a more philosophical and uh, yeah, it really just a big philosophical evolution about like what it like, how should we look at human beings when it comes to means of production? Right. And because right now we just like a lot of we we look at human beings as a means of production for something. And it's just that industrial society is about goods and post-industrial is more about intellectual property and services but they'll be even to a point where you'll, you'll like what I, I can see now that what i'm worried about is that by the time we get out of the people who are in the industrial side and they go okay yeah we're gonna make it into post-industrial we're gonna be past post-industrial to like Oh, hu- next thing. Like, like the yeah. human, whatever. I don't know what it'll be called because they're like it isn't observable yet. Right. But I feel like it, it'll be that thing where 
Because automation will take over the hard labor. Right. It basically will automate everything that came out of the steam engine being a thing and the modification of that. But then with things like machine learning and basically AI getting to the point where it probably maybe get sentient or or basically just where a human's means of production as a sense of a job will be a purely unnecessary coincidence, like occurrence. Yeah. And it could it could get to that point. And I don't think you in the way we engineer ourselves, at least in this capitalist society like it, it's weird because when i look at it i i know getting like capitalism says like these are the stages in life you need to go through and i kind of call bullshit on that because but i kind of don't because in order for the society to work the way it's all intertwined most like it should be set up for like at least hardcore capitalism uh for someone to go to a school where they learn enough to go to a college where they get a degree where they can get a sustainable job that allows them to have kids and own a house and own a car and then retire because there's so many industries alone that are built on you know affecting that and having people jobs who have that that it's like okay that makes sense i get it but at, at the same time in order to like be there's also things that it adds to it where there's people who make boatloads of money by making it so people don't make a lot of money in jobs that should be livable. And there's also the things that that really not fucked up about America, but it's interesting is that the cost of living is so like disparagingly different depending on where you go. Like Seattle's cost of living, as you and I know, is high. But you go to Nashville, Tennessee, and it's like... It's reasonable. Right? Yeah. Like a person, like if a develop, if someone was making developer money here in Seattle, in Nashville, Tennessee, they would be making so far beyond bank, it would make no sense. Yeah, like they would keep getting paid like five, six grand a month, and probably only have to pay under a thousand dollars in everything they need to live. And it's like, what do you do with extra five grand? You can start businesses and stuff like that. So yeah, but what I kind of, what I kind of want to hope to see is that um we we take our resources because we have a bunch of just old computers and we definitely need to get more rural rural places on the internet and i think we just need to i I would love to see something like a block grant or a pilot program for universal basic income alongside with uh post-industrial infrastructure and a lot of rural places so basically where it's like here we're gonna give you internet we're gonna give you a computer and we're gonna give you a thousand bucks a month yeah well and then and then what i what i what i would also do is i would give them um free access to a lot of like the online things you can learn like udemy um what is it code academy all of that stuff and basically just say okay you guys can you know use the this pilot program live pay your rent and everything but you know everybody in your community is getting this. So you guys could pool your money, start a business, yeah. and then do like and then get um information out there. Cause I think in the one of the core reasons why I think our industrial world doesn't work is because all that industrial work went overseas to affect globalism. So I, I can see why the people who are populist in post-industrial age are like fuck global and globalism and i think they would be they would be okay with globalism if they were a part of it too right and because they really aren't in a way that they can notice they don't come aboard exactly so i feel like we like it it is where the world is going and this is i don't want to say it's a futile attempt it's a really really well played attempt to keep get america back to its industrial roots of the 50s 60s and 70s yeah but we'll see it's what how that all plays out man we have uh we have fulfilled our obligation of an hour cool we've done it uh once again you can follow me folks at seatown mayor i am your municipality helper by the sea and we have uh sir Chaz. where can they find you um just a, a few things as an addendum to my whole rant thank you for letting me rant mikhail <laughs> um and if, this is not a sponsored thing but 
I like The Great Courses Plus, and The Great Courses Plus has a series called Nationalism versus Globalism, and it goes, it's hosted by an economist from the University of Tennessee, so, and he basically goes in and tells you the history of, like, different economic models and how globalism and nationalism hit the stage, both socially and between wars and everything, um well i guess and even though a lot of places out there just any other show the first show that you watch that says we're also sponsored by the great courses plush and they have a slash blank thing <laughs> use theirs to give them some uh what's yeah. it called you know what i'll do because it was the one that i saw recently and i really liked their stuff and i need to catch up on it the pbs ideal ch- uh, idea channel um they are sponsored by the great courses plus recently so if you just go to greatcoursesplus.com slash idea you can use theirs um you know yeah. maybe tell them that we gave them a shout out i don't know maybe <laughs> they'll give us a shout out put it yeah put it in the, in the comments but anyway i digress you can find me at uh crsii on the twitters and at chaz baz and other places and uh that's the story as we've seen it uh chaz you have yourself a good week you too and uh we'll catch up with y'all another time peace i got the moves i got the moves i'm making moves you gotta move you gotta move she made that back move damn she made the titties move damn i made the city move i made the city move i got the moves i'm making moves i got the moves i got the moves i'm making moves i'm making moves you gotta move you gotta she made that back move she made the city move. God damn, I made the city move. <laughs>